everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Grace Atwood. And I'm Becca Freeman. We have the loveliest interview for you today. Yes, we're talking to Julia Tertian all about her new cookbook and home cooking. And body and image. Body image and her the wife. wonderful story of how she met her wife. It was such a delight to talk to her, and I think everyone will love this. It was such a treat. But before we talk to her, we're going to talk about ourselves a little bit. Becca, what was your high this week? So my high this week was that on last Thursday night, we went out for outdoor drinks and more with our friends Ashley and Raina from Girls Gotta Eat and Casey Balsham, who is a stand-up comedian and opened our New York City live show for us. Our and first Casey one. has a podcast too. Casey has a podcast called Shady Ship. And we had so much fun. We went to this, I don't even remember what it was called. Oh, the Cauldron. The Cauldron. On Stone Street. And they had free Britney drag bingo. Are we missing something? I feel like there was something else in there. It was like a mouthful. Well, there were drinks that were witchy like stuff. witchy stuff. There was witchy stuff. The drinks like bubbled. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like a whole theme. It was so fun to catch up with them, but it was also such like a weird fun night. It was the generally. best. It was great. It felt like a sl- a little slice of normal. Mm-hmm. That was my high too. It was just those girls are so much fun and they're so funny and. Like Casey ordered this terrible blue drink that was like bubbling. Called it was the like blob. It was called a blob. It was made with blue curacao. Anything blue, you just you know. I'm it. too old to drink anything blue. But I love Casey so much because she's like, I'm gonna have the blob, and then she's like, and then also a glass of Sauvignon Blanc because she knew she wasn't gonna like it. But somebody <laughs> needed to order the weird witchy drink. But then I don't even know what happened. But then they like brought us two more. They kept getting our drink orders mm-hmm. wrong. And then mm-hmm. they brought us two more of the blobs, and I yeah. was like, "We don't." And then the we don't need the Midori this. shots. It was um, a lot, and the strawberry lemonade thing. It was a lot. It um, was a funny night. Sometimes you just need a good laugh, and it was just the perfect night for that. Um, I love those girls so much. Um, what was your low? My low. I've just been on a little bit of an emotional roller coaster. Um, I feel like leaving New York, like it's starting to sink in that I really only have two weeks left here. Um, which is just crazy and wild and doesn't feel real. Like I, I'm mostly just so excited, but then I think about things like that night we had, I was like, oh, well, they're all going to be doing this without me. And I'm getting like a little bit of FOMO thinking about not being here. Well, you, you of all people keep saying that you're going to come back. Oh yeah. I'll be back all the time. All the time. Yeah. You told me the other day that you were going to come back to get your hair done every, every four months. Yeah. So. And, and now Botox. Um, yeah, these are important things. You're going to be here all the time. I will. It just, it's, we- it's a weird thing to leave. And I feel like mostly I'm just really positive and I know this is the right move for me. But there's times where I just get sad, which is normal. Of course. Of course. Yeah. And like living in a building with two of your best friends, it's just like it's an end of an era. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? <laughs> I know yours. It's funny. I have a story. It is not – it is a medium. It's not a low. But I have a story that I thought our listeners might enjoy. So um, last week, I was DMing with Zoe. Pop My niece? Nod. No, Zoe, Azora Zoe, who founded Goldoon. And we were DMing because she had just finished The Idea of You. And she was like, I did not know that I was going to start my Monday by crying. Mm-hmm. She was like, I, I just didn't know that this was going to happen. And we were just talking about how great the book is. Um, if you have not been indoctrinated into the cult of the idea of you, 
oh my God, we got, went down such a big rabbit hole in 2019. We're obsessed with this book. I can't recommend it highly enough. We have an, a book club episode and an episode with the author. Anyway, so she was like, this book needs a sequel or a movie. And I was like, I totally agree. And um, Robin has talked about uh, the fact that they were developing it into a movie, and I hadn't heard anything about that. And so I started Googling, and I hadn't – there were no articles. It was acquired by – I can't remember what the um, production company was. And then Gabrielle Union's production company was involved. And um, I I kind of was just like, well, I think I have to shoot my shot. So I, I emailed my agent, and the subject line was just left field question – and um, I was like, are the rights available to the idea of you? And like, she was like, I can check. Like, what do you want them for? And I was like, I don't know, but I just want to know if I can have them. And uh, unfortunately, it turns out that they are not. So on the one <laughs> hand, on the on the one, and also I was like, is there a script for this? Can I write the script? And she didn't even get back to me on that question, which I assume either means that they don't want me involved or like it's already been written either way. <laughs> you never know. But I appreciate I, your your balls here. I was just on such a high and I was like, why not me? Why um, not me? I was like, I love this book more, not more than anyone else, but as much as anyone else. I was like, why not me? Maybe more than I'm anyone else. I have an authority else. on the idea of you. You are. And I really spent a solid 24 hours being like, wow, I'm going I'm to make the movie of the idea of you. Oh, my God. And then I, I didn't. But I mean, I guess the the silver lining here is that somebody theoretically is developing the movie. Yeah. So that's that could be its own little micro high in itself. It can't be you, but I'm happy. I would I would be happy that it existed anyway. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I thought people would get a kick out of that story. Yeah. Anyway, let's get into this episode. So today's guest needs no introduction. It's beloved home chef and New York Times bestselling author, Julia Tertian. So Julia has collaborated on 15 total cookbooks and has four of her own and just released her newest cookbook, Simply Julia, on March 2nd, which combines her love of food and storytelling. And this is her most personal cookbook yet. It's packed with delicious but healthy comfort dishes and revealing mini essays throughout. It's part autobiography, part cookbook. And besides all that, among other things, she hosts the ICP-nominated podcast Keep Calm and Cook On and is the founder of Equity at the Table, an inclusive digital directory of women and non-binary individuals in food. And she lives in the Hudson Valley with her wife, Grace Bonney, and their dogs. That is all accurate. <laughs> and um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. I've been really looking forward. And speaking of those dogs, you might hear them. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so happy Julia. to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you. I, I didn't tell you this before I got on, but um, I actually had your meatballs last night, which now that I'm saying out loud sounds creepier than I meant it. <laughs> um, well, I have to now ask a follow-up question. Which ones? <laughs> Ooh, so they're not the ones from the cookbook. They're um, the turkey ricotta meatballs from – I actually always look at the recipe from Cup of Joe. You've made those for me before. They're so good. They're it's, so my, good. it's my go-to busy week recipe. I actually didn't make them. These I pulled from the freezer. Um, even better. I feel like they taste better. better. Yeah. It's, it's my go-to recipe if I'm like, I just need to batch cook something. And it all it like never disappoints. I am thrilled to hear that. And yeah, I've published like a lot of meatball recipes. I mean, those are like the, I would say probably most popular. They're my, I think, favorite. Um, 
but I just had to check because there's a lot of meatballs out there. <laughs> well, I did actually. So I, with the Simply Julia book, I, I went through the book and I dog-eared a bunch of the recipes. I haven't cooked from it yet. I'll, I'll be honest. Oh, it just came out. Um, <laughs> but funny. the um, what your dad's meatballs, mm-hmm. those sounded very good. They're I'm so good. I'm most excited to make the lemon ricotta cupcakes. Ooh, my therapist also said she was like, these ones stand out to me. So you're in good company. <laughs> Do you know what the other thing I'm excited for? So I saw that Erica Cerullo, who you were on Claire and Erica's mm-hmm. podcast a, a couple of weeks ago, cooked the uh, kale um, white – was it like yeah, white pizza white style pizza kale? white pizza style kale. It's so good. And I saw that and I was like, I'm going to need to – Yeah. I'm going to need to make that because I always have some kale on the edge of going bad. Well, what would be great is um, – if you make the turkey ricotta meatballs and you, you have some leftover ricotta, you make the white pizza style kale with it because it's just really garlicky kale, like a skillet with some ricotta on top and some more cheese and you stick it under the broiler. It's delicious. Oh Julia, my God. don't threaten me with a good time. That sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah, I would oh my invite gosh. myself over for that night. That sounds great. <laughs> So we've introduced you. Um, You need no introduction. You're one of both of our favorite cookbook authors, and we're so, so thrilled to have you with us Mm. today. Like, this is a huge get for us. Um, But we would really like it if you could just walk our audience through kind of who you are and what you do and how you got to where you are today. Sure. Um, But first, just thank you. That is, like, so kind. And um, I have every single one of your cookbooks and some that you've collaborated on. Oh, my goodness. So. Well, yeah, we're fans. Okay, I've already mentioned my therapist at least once, and she. this would be the point when she would tell me to just let this land <laughs> and just <laughs> don't try to make a joke and just say thank you. So thank you. Um, that does mean a lot. So who am I? Like, how did I come to sit here in front of this microphone talking to you? Um, I have loved to cook since before I can remember, since I was a really little kid. My like childhood nickname was Julia the Child, and I have also <laughs> always that's adorable. That's I, so cute. True story. Um, I have also always, always, always loved books and loved stories, and just loved like the printed medium. Um, I think a huge part of that is the fact that I grew up um, in a home where both my parents worked in the publishing business. They both worked in the magazine business. Um, also in some book and advertising stuff. So I saw from a very young age that people made like pages of things for a living. Um, Like that was a profession (laughs) that was multiple professions. You know, there are multiple people involved in this. So I had that kind of early exposure. I also grew up surrounded by books and magazines. And I think that's a huge part of why I do what I do. And yeah, I went to school and middle school and high school and all that. And, um, (laughs) you know, I wrote all like my book reports about like whatever they were eating in the book. Like I have just always been drawn to like food and stories. And then I went to liberal arts college. I didn't get a, I didn't go to culinary school. Um, I studied poetry in college. I have this whole theory that like every recipe is a poem just because they're like really descriptive, but also you want to keep them kind of short. Um, And then Yeah, I basically during college, because I went to college in Manhattan, so I had the ability to do a lot of like part-time work and interning and stuff for different things. Also, as I mentioned, my parents had been in the magazine industry, which I just like to mention because I think that's how, that's not specifically how so many people get into publishing, but like doors were definitely open for me in a way I don't think they are for most people. And I just like to be very 
transparent about that because like nobody is transparent about anything in publishing and it drives me bananas. So that happened. And then, yeah, I worked with a ton of other people on their cookbooks before I ever did my own. And I've continued to do collaborative work as I've done my own books. And yeah, you mentioned I've worked on like 15 cookbooks in about as many years, which has been a lot. (laughs) And I've learned a lot. And one of the things I've learned is that I just really am so proud to be a home cook. And I am so happy to be a home cook and to be someone who loves to cook at home. And I just want to make as many other people feel as calm as I do in the kitchen, because I don't really feel calm anywhere else. And um, yeah, just feel like excited to cook at home and not intimidated, and just very supported and like not judged. So that's kind of where I am. I mean, I could go in a bunch of different directions, but I think that's probably like, probably not the shortest version, but like, kind of, you know, the cliff notes. I think that's perfect. That's great, Julia 101. Wait, what was the first cookbook that you worked on? I'm curious. The first cookbook I worked on was called um, Spain, A Culinary Road Trip. It was the companion book to a PBS program called Spain on the Road Again that starred um, Gwyneth Paltrow and Mario Batali and Mark Bittman and a Spanish actress named Claudia Basols. Um, So I sort of you know, learn to ski on ice and kind of hit the ground running. I always say that phrase, learn to ski on ice. And my wife is always like, I don't think people know what that means, but just like, (laughs) I've never heard it, but it makes sense. Run into the deep end. Mm -hmm. I always tend to start making sports analogies and then realize that I know nothing about sports halfway into the analogy. And I'm like, I don't know how to finish. Yeah. Same here. Same here. You're in good company. Yes. Wait, so this is your most personal cookbook. It's um for those we Becca and I have both spent a lot of time with this cookbook, but you have um it's 110 recipes in here. So it's 110 recipes, but actually I think it's like way more than that because yeah. um at the back of the book I included this thing seven lists. I've done that in all my I books. love the list. Oh, I love the list of awesome. the questions to ask to get to know somebody. Um, I bookmarked that. I have like little stickers on all the pages, like for like to refer back to. We're both. We're you both... made it your own lucky magazine. I did. I have. I have those stickers, <laughs> oh like the lucky God. stickers. Oh, I yeah. so appreciate that detail. I mean, I was recently joking to a friend that like seeing dog-eared pages or like post-its, like that is my love language. Like that means yeah. a lot to hear. But yeah, in the back of the book, there's that section. And each list has seven things. You mentioned the one of like seven That was such a treat to stumble upon. I was like, Mm. oh, there's more. Oh, yeah. Um, I feel like it's like the bonus content. So within that, there's like a ton of extra recipes, but a little bit more informal. And then every recipe in the book basically is me telling you all these other ways you can make it. So it's 110 recipes plus. Plus. But besides that, you have all these personal essays. You talk about body image Mm -hmm. and fat phobia and anxiety. Like, was it scary to write about those? Um, Honestly, it wasn't so scary to write about them. I really appreciate this question and getting to think about my answer to it. I really don't think I was so scared to write them. It has been a little scary to share them, which I think are two different things, right? The writing of it and then the publishing of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But I will say it's been a really, I don't know, it's, it's not like a super scary fear, if that makes sense. Like if we're like categorizing different types of being scared, I don't feel like threatened in any way. I just feel like a little nervous and because it's like super vulnerable. But that vulnerability, I guess on my part, has been met with, at least as far as I know, just 
a ton of support. Like I feel incredibly supported and it makes me feel really happy. I put these essays in the book. Um, if anyone is not into them, feel free to just not tell me. <laughs> like I don't, <laughs> I don't need to know that. That's fine. That's fine if you don't like them. I just don't need to know. Um, but yeah, they were incredibly cathartic to write. They helped me kind of sort through a lot of thoughts that I have just been, I don't know, untangling for a really long time. And I also just really am so happy that there are just reflections on things, as you mentioned, like body image and diet culture and fat phobia and mental health and anxiety. Like all of this stuff is in a cookbook that has the word healthy on the cover. And to me, you know, mental health, like the acknowledgement and kind of, you know, attempt to dismantle diet culture a bit, like those are all part of healthy to me, like part of that umbrella term. Um, so I think to me, they make a lot of sense to have in the cookbook. And I'm just, I'm glad that, um, I don't know, people who are picking up the book seem to be responding to them. And because a part of me was like, is this just too random to put here? Like, I think they make sense, but I don't know that everyone else will think so. So, so far, so good. No, I, I, I truly appreciated it because I feel like, you know, this is from an outsider's perspective. When I look at the cooking industry, there's either like so decadent, like calories don't matter, mm-hmm. um, a million sticks of butter. And then there's like this so austere, eight million substitutions for everything that also like I don't I live in New York City and I don't know where I'm mm-hmm. going to find these mm-hmm. things in a grocery store um, that have been, you know, just like so healthified everything. And so it it was really, I don't know, I appreciated to have something that was approachable, but also health-minded, but health-minded in a way that was not out of deprivation. Yeah. I um, thank you for saying that because that's really important to me. Like this is a book of healthy recipes that has nothing to do with deprivation, like nothing to do with restriction and like absolutely nothing to do with weight loss. Like I do not equate healthy with skinny, which, or at least I, you know what, I'm going to rephrase that. I don't equate healthy with skinny at this point in my life. And I used to, um, I think a lot of people do and have, and that makes sense. Cause I think we're basically asked to equate them by a lot of people who are selling us like a lot of stuff. So that's something I've come to wrap my head around that. I just feel, yeah, really excited to put out a book that just embraces like a more, I don't know, like holistic, (laughs) like understanding of the word healthy, like defines it more as like how you feel when you're cooking and eating, not really about what you're cooking or eating. And for me, that definition is honestly just about feeling free. (laughs) Like it has everything to do with freedom, like being free of judgment, being free of restriction and deprivation. Um, Yeah, like all of that. I'm curious to talk a little bit about that journey for you. I'm going to do something really awkward, and I'm going to quote you to you. Okay. Um, so there was this section in one of the essays, and the essay is called On the Worthiness of Our Bodies. And you said, I'm learning what it feels like to not merely accept my body, but to understand that there's nothing wrong with it, to love it, to know that no matter how much space it takes up in the world, it's worthy, and I'm grateful to live in it. So I'm I'm just super curious to hear you share a little bit more about your journey and how you got to this point of acceptance. Yeah. Like, how did I go from being someone who had a really hard time with my body to being the person who like wrote that sentence that I just heard read back to me? (laughs) Um, Thank you for reading it. It's nice for me to hear it like in someone else's voice. And 
Yeah, in terms of that journey, it's definitely like not a journey that has ended by any means. Like I am very much on the road. I am not an expert here or an authority. Like I do not have all the answers. I don't even know if I have an answer. I'm just like <laughs> very willing to be really honest. Um, and yeah, in terms of getting from kind of A to B. So for me, it just it really started from this place of fatigue and not just being like physically tired, but just like emotionally and mentally just drained. And, you know, I have spent, as I mentioned, like my whole life loving to cook and being like so drawn to the kitchen. And that has been like primarily a really positive thing in my life. And it's like where I feel the most curious and where I feel the most confident and where I feel the most calm, like all of that happens for me in the kitchen it does not happen for me or historically hasn't happened for me when I sit down and eat the food that I've cooked. Um, you know, I have loved cooking and I have had a really hard time with eating <laughs> and really understanding the difference between those two things, even though they overlap so much has been really helpful for me. I think that's been a big part of the journey because it used to be really confusing for me because I was like, I love food, but I'm scared of food, but I love it. But I don't, I feel guilty and I feel scared and all this stuff. So just separating those two parts of it have really helped me. And then there have been so many other things, but I would say the common thread through all those things is just not being alone in it, like talking to therapists, like multiple different therapists. Like I've tried all different types of therapy, which I'd be like happy to get into more detail about. Um, I have the most supportive wife in the world who's just amazing. And basically her asking me to see me through her eyes has been incredibly helpful. Um, I have incredibly supportive friends and family who have been, I would say like pretty awesome about me setting up some new boundaries within <laughs> some of those relationships and expanding the conversations we have. And I've also expanded who I talk to about this kind of stuff. Like I've changed who I follow on social media. I've changed, you know, not changed, but I've added more books to my shelf. I've read them. I listen to more podcasts. Like to me, stepping out of diet culture and stepping into whatever is not diet culture, like whatever is a culture that just doesn't prioritize thinness above anything else. Um, to me, it feels like learning a new language and like I grew up speaking this language of diet culture. We always talk about I grew up in a Snackwells household. Did you grow up in a Snackwells household? One million percent. And have you listened to the podcast Maintenance Phase? No. Okay. I mean, I want to keep talking to you, but I also want us to stop so you can just like go listen because it is <laughs> it is so good. It is Ooh, excellent. I can't wait. It is hosted by Aubrey Gordon and Michael Hobbs. And Aubrey wrote the book, um, What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat, which is a book I highly recommend. And they basically, every episode, they like debunk some wellness thing. And they did a whole episode about snack wells that is like amazing. Oh, I got it. This interview is canceled. Yeah. I got it. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, honestly, like, I can't say anything better than they said in that episode. So truly just go listen to it. And you can include this because <laughs> I think other people should listen. Also, oh, absolutely. understand if you want to cut it out. No, but I just I relate to that so hard being raised in this household of diet culture that wasn't necessarily called diet culture. And then also not realizing how deeply it infiltrated my current beliefs. I'm just sitting here like nodding aggressively because I just same, same. And I know that we are not alone in that. Like 
I'm sure you can count like friends and family amongst that. Like I know I can. I just think basically the like America, <laughs> like most of the Western world, like, and for me, just basically deciding like, hey, I don't know that I just want to speak this language as fluently anymore or participate in it as much as I did. Like, I need to learn a new language. And I just feel like immersing yourself in a new language is the best way to learn it. So yeah, like changing who's in my headphones, like listening mm-hmm. to maintenance phase, like listening to, you know, Food Heaven podcast with Jess and Wendy is awesome. It's so, so great. Uh, there's so many resources and it makes me feel really excited about, you know, my cookbook being on a shelf with lots of other things and hopefully opening up the door maybe just a little bit wider for for more things. Because, you know, I wrote this healthy cookbook that has nothing to do with weight loss. And it's like my face and name on the cover, which for me is, you know, whatever. I don't care that it's like so much about the picture. I mean, it's a wonderful picture. I worked with a wonderful photographer. I don't want to like put down that. But to me, basically doing that, you know, I am a person who's, I'm openly gay. I'm Jewish. I am not, uh, you know, I'm not living in a very fat body, but I'm not living in a super, you know, thin body. And there's nothing wrong with either of those. That's just, I think, something you normally see (laughs) under that word healthy is like a really thin, straight, white, I would say, um, usually like blonde woman. And I guess the only thing I am in that is um, I'm white. But yeah, anyway, like, I just think there's room for all of us. And I just hope to see many more books with the word healthy that like, there's lots of people on the cover. Like, I think we all deserve to see ourselves represented with that word. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, And I really I shared it on my Instagram. And then you and I, then that terrible ad was served about dieting. Right. But I love the piece you wrote for healthy-ish too. Thank you. Yeah, that was the like excerpted from the book. And I'm so grateful that they excerpted that essay. You know, we adapted it a little because that can reach an audience I can't reach on my own. And I'm just, yeah, really grateful for that because I have, yeah, I mean, I've worked on a ton of books. Like, this is not my first rodeo, but I have never received as many messages as I have in the last week since that essay came out. And that's not like a comment on like my social media status or whatever. Like, to me, it's just like a reflection on just what it means when we hear these things shared and like when we see yeah. when we see ourselves reflected and that's the message i've been getting and the message i've been responding with is like yeah you're not alone <laughs> like i'm with you like i just feel like i keep typing that and it feels important for me to say that out loud like as much for me as for everyone i'm talking to so yeah i'm really um to go back to your question of like was it scary to write about no because i think i was ready to write about it and i had like done a lot of work in therapy, basically. (laughs) And was it scary to put out? Yes, but I no longer feel scared. Okay, let's take a quick break to talk about a sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers professional therapy online via chat, video, or phone, so you can talk to a licensed counselor from the comfort of your couch. So just speaking for myself, I know that this has been a really challenging year mental health-wise between the pandemic, adjusting to quarantine life and the election, never mind any of the individual things that each of us has going on. So if you've been thinking about trying therapy, I think that's incredible, but can also be really overwhelming. 
So, okay, you've decided that you want to try therapy. How do you find a therapist? How do you know what they specialize in? And what if after all that, they turn out not to be a match? I love BetterHelp because they're solving all these problems. They offer private, affordable online counseling when you need it without having to leave your couch. They make it so easy, too. You just go to their site and fill out a simple online questionnaire that will assess your needs. They ask you about your age, relationship status, past experience with therapy, and what you're looking to address, and then they match you with your own licensed professional therapist. They have counselors who are specialized in everything from depression and stress and anxiety to relationships, trauma, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem issues. You can start communicating with your therapist in under 24 hours. You can message them anytime and get timely, thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. And best of all, it's more affordable than traditional online counseling and financial aid is available. And they're committed to facilitating great matches. If your first counselor is not a good fit, they make it easy and free to change counselors. And anything you share is always, of course, confidential. We want you to start living a happier life today. So as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash badonpaper. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash badonpaper. Back to the episode. Another one of the big themes in this book. So, you know, it's a healthy cookbook about taking care of yourself, but you also talk a lot about taking care of your wife who lives with diabetes and has, you know, concerns outside of just um, skinny or fat, you know, regulating her her insulin and and living a healthy life. I'm Well, first of all, I'm curious to hear how you and Grace met because I actually don't know. Um, so Grace is the best. I mean, I'm biased, but like, that's just a fact. Well, I'm also such a fan of hers from Design Sponge. Oh, such a fan. Like, it was like the first blog I ever read. Yeah, no, me too. I was a fan. And she, maybe you remember because you read the blog, but she, on her 32nd birthday, she wrote this very short and sweet coming out post that I read. And I think, um, not that I think, I know. I don't know why I just said that. I was like alone (laughs) in my apartment. I was like kind of late. Like, I think I had gotten home from like a dinner or something with friends. I'm trying to say like I was a little bit drunk, <laughs> like, just, a little, just like a little, you know, and just tips. And I read it and I was like, oh, like you smart, interesting person who I've like really liked your work for a while. Like I've liked you professionally and like I didn't know this and this is interesting to know. And it also didn't specify or it you didn't specify in the post whether or not you are single. And I felt like I have absolutely nothing to lose so I guessed her email address and I wrote her and I basically like asked her out and then she wrote me back. Ah, I love this. <laughs> I love this. Did you know her in person? Had you met? No. Or we you had just never, followed her blog? We had never met my how did my, my I can't remember if it was my mom or my dad. One of them was like phrased it really well. They were like you you two have been like circling each other like we have a lot of overlap. We have like a lot of people in common. I had once she used to have this really really great um column on her site called what's in your toolbox and okay i have to admit i creeped a little and i was went down a whole rabbit hole and i found that post and i was like was creep. this i i'm a creep i am like i do my research when we write these interviews no, i'm too. impressed because like, that was um, a long time ago yeah i found it i was like was this before they started yeah it was before i, I thought yeah. so <laughs> sorry i've come clean <laughs> i really appreciate the honesty and it's not creepy like it's like it's research. we put ourselves on the internet. So, you know, whatever. Um, so that column was awesome. And I got to be interviewed for it, but not by Grace, by someone else who um, 
wrote for her, who was a freelancer for her site. And it was like this really wonderful experience. I had not really like been interviewed before. And it was just, I don't know, I feel like I got like a lot of love from that community, which was just a really pleasant experience to have on the internet, like especially however long ago that was, like a decade or something like that. So yeah, I she was definitely on my radar. Oh, and in the email, I was like, hey, want to know more about me? And I like linked to that post. So that was actually really great. Um, <laughs> I've been on your site. On your, website. your site endorses me. Let's go out. Um, so that was that. Yeah, we basically like we essentially got married immediately. Like it all moved very quickly. And we've been married for over seven years now. And so that's how we met. And yeah, if, uh, I should know the following maybe like five years ago, like recent history, but not yesterday. She was diagnosed as an adult with type one diabetes. And for anyone who doesn't know, type 1 and type 2 are very different, um, related, but different. And, you know, Becca, you mentioned about um, grace taking insulin. So if you have type 1, to make a complicated thing like overly simplified, you act as your own pancreas. Like you do all the work of this bodily organ, which means like you give yourself insulin and you are doing like math basically all day long, every day, like figuring out how much you need. And so when Grace was first diagnosed, like this is a huge adjustment for anyone to make. And she had a friend describe it as like someone else who has type one as um, like a full-time job that no one signs up for. Like, I think that's a really accurate description as like the person who lives next to someone who lives with type one. Um, It's a lot of work. And in that moment, as her spouse, as someone who loves her, I just was like, wow, this is a lot. This is, you know, a lifelong diagnosis. And this is a lot to adjust to. And it is a ton of work. Like there's so many logistics here. And I just seek to be useful. (laughs) Like that could be my business card. Um, And I also was like scared. And like my wife had gotten really sick. And like, and it was, you know, everything just felt really uncertain. So when I'm scared or uncertain, I just am like, what can I cook? (laughs) Like, this will make me feel better. And, you know, for better or worse, type 1 diabetes is something that food, you know, has a lot of effect on. And so I felt like I, I wouldn't wish it on anyone to get. It's a really hard thing to live with, but it's totally manageable. And I felt like, oh, I could help with the manageable part through what happens in our kitchen. Um, And that made me feel really grateful as her spouse to have like tangible things I could do in that time and continue to do. And kind of like, I think, I don't know, learning the new language of not speaking diet culture vocabulary all the time. Like I think living with type one diabetes is also maybe a little bit like learning a new language. Um, So as the years have gone by, Grace's just, her, you know, life around what she eats has gotten just more flexible. Like she speaks the language fluently mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. Um, so at first we were more like, let's just keep things super low carb because that just means you don't need as much insulin. So it's just taking mm-hmm. out a variable. Um, so that's not so much the case anymore. But I would say, you know, I used to make a joke of about our like low carb, high quality lifestyle, which like I thought was funny. I don't know if Grace ever thought that was funny. Um <laughs> But yeah, a lot of the recipes in this book, like, kind of talk about that time and come from that and are just basically, you know, all the recipes in this book are from my home kitchen where I'm sitting right now. I'm at my kitchen counter. Um, They come from right here, like to your kitchen. And right here in this kitchen is where 
Grace and I both make all the food that we eat or put takeout onto plates. <laughs> and, um, you know, that means that everything I cook, I do with like a lot of consideration for Grace. Um, and I do for a lot with a lot of consideration for myself. You know, I like to cook with consideration. <laughs> like I like to think about like, what what would Grace really like? And I ask her, you know, I try not to read her mind because I can't. I've learned that. <laughs> like marriage tip 101, can't read each other's minds. Um, and, you know, I get to consider what I want too. And, you know, that is something I really love about cooking is getting to just have that much consideration in my daily life. I will also say this is consideration related, but not related to Grace, obviously, your wife, Grace, or this Grace. But the one thing that I really appreciate is that um, the usage of utensils and bowls, like I am my own dishwasher. And I feel like sometimes there are cookbooks that I read that are clearly written by people who do not live in New York City. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you want me to take out all of this? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Who's going to wash it? Um, Again, just nodding like vigorously over here because – I so I love to cook like that's been well established I do not love to wash dishes like I will do it but like this is not where my passion lies and because I'm a home cook who writes for other home cooks I'm thinking about exactly what you just described all the time because I will never tell you to use you know three bowls when you can use one or two (laughs) you know like yeah and that just feels really important to me also in terms of healthy cooking because I think healthy is a feeling that can and should be like as accessible as possible. And that extends to like, how much time are you going to spend in the kitchen, not just cooking, but cleaning up? <laughs> like, yeah, it's feels like the more complicated things seem, the more, you know, the less we'll do them. And I just feel like healthy cooking is something that is like very doable. And that involves like not doing so many dishes. <laughs> I got to say something, beca- and this is totally getting sidetracked, That's but okay. I was reading through one of your lists and one of them was about kitchen organization. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I got so ridiculously happy because I saw the section where you wrote about the turntables. Oh, game changers. Yeah. Yes, because that was a big pandemic discovery for both of us. I I literally like took a screenshot of your book to text it to Becca, circled it, and was like, "She's our people." <laughs> um, because the turntable mm-hmm. has changed our yeah. lives. We have them. We both have them in our fridges, in our cabinets. Oh yeah, do you have the fridge turntable? Yes, I have them everywhere. Like oh, thank I'm yes. looking at one right now that has like vitamins, including ones for our dogs. We have them in our fridge. We have them in our cabinets. I know you can't see, but I'm looking at them. Grace has one like in the bathroom that she because she's like very into skincare, and I am not like that is not my department. Um, so she uses. I one have for one that. in my bathroom yeah, too. Yeah, they are game changers. And again, for this same thing we're talking about, you said this is like off topic, but I don't think it is because I think, you know, I think cooking and like home organizing are both things that I think have been co-opted by a lot of people who are trying to sell us a lot of stuff. (laughs) And, you know, I mean, I know that's ironic coming from me because I'm trying to sell a cookbook, right? But I mean, whatever. Go buy her cookbook. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I I recognize that. I just want to say, like, I acknowledge that. But I think home organizing too, like, has become this thing that, I don't know, it's just, it's become something that almost feels like unattainable. And also, like, I think a lot of people feel this pressure to set up their kitchens or home, you know, home office or bathroom or whatever, in a way that is like ready for Instagram or something. Mm -hmm. And in a way that like, you become stressed out 
to keep up with this organization. Like, and I just am a big fan of making your kitchen work for you. So using these turntables we're talking about isn't because, you know, you can put it on social media or something. I do it because it makes it easier to reach things and it makes it harder to forget things in the back of the cupboard. And it makes all of your like ingredients in your cupboard or your fridge, like you can just spin this thing and you don't have to pull things out and all that. And I just am a big fan of anything that just makes our lives at home easier because I just think our lives outside of our homes are hard, <laughs> like are yeah. really, really hard. And for a lot of people, lives in their homes are hard too. I don't mean to like not say that, but I just think whatever we can do to make it easier, I'm just all for it, like a thousand percent for it. I couldn't agree more. I feel like our homes have become just like this oasis and this mm -hmm. refuge during like what's been a really, really tough year. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Wait, so do you have a favorite thing to cook for Grace? It's <laughs> weird talking about Grace when I am Grace. <laughs> Different Grace. Um, She's like asking for myself. Yeah. What do you want to cook for me? <laughs> a friend of my wife Grace's has a daughter named Grace and has so has the name Grace like tattooed on her body and it's like oh weird. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, so my favorite thing to cook for Grace is just anything that she is like in the mood for, and she's very hard to predict. So it always feels like a challenge. And she's always like, I didn't ask you to predict this. <laughs> so, um, but I would say her favorite recipe in Simply Julia, um, which she absolutely can confirm because she, not only has she like eaten all this stuff, but she tested every recipe for me. She That was like an amazing part of this process that was just really invaluable. Um, so her favorite recipe from the book is in the breakfast chapter. They're the everything bagel hand pies, which is – this super, super easy dough made of yogurt and flour. And then you roll it out and you put, um, I did scrambled eggs mixed with some scallions because I love scallion cream cheese on an everything bagel. But you don't have to put the scallions and you could also switch up the filling. And anyway, you put whatever you want in it and then fold it up and then you put everything bagel seasoning on top and you bake them and they're just, they're basically hot pockets is what they oh are. Oh my God. <laughs> I think I'm going to make those this yeah, weekend. They're really fun to make. And it's, yeah. I think it's also like if you, I, I don't know about you, Grace, but if if you or anyone listening like doesn't have a ton of experience with like baking or, or if like dough feels feels intimidating. This is like a really good place to enter that part of cooking because it, it's just like a very forgiving, very easy recipe. Okay. So the other thing I noticed about this book is that so many of the recipes are inspired by people in your life mm -hmm. or places in your life that are close to your heart. Do you have a favorite food memory you can share with us? I mean, I honestly feel like this whole book is trying to I don't know, just give you all my favorite food memories. Like it's hard <laughs> to choose. It's really hard to choose. Um, but off the top of my head, maybe because we were just talking about the breakfast recipes. So that's how I got here quickly. But there's another recipe in the breakfast chapter for this really, really good um, coffee cake, like a coffee crumb cake. And it mm -hmm. is in memory of our friend Georgine, who Grace, my wife, not you, Grace, who I'm looking at, <laughs> um, Grace and I um, have volunteered regularly at this place in our community called Angel Food East. And we used to do it with our friend Georgine, who sadly passed away a couple of years ago. And she was volunteering there forever. And that's how we got to be friends with her. And she was just really, really special to us. And she died, you know, in her 90s. And, you know, we got to 
spend time with her every week during the last couple of years of her life. It was like really, really special. And she was a wonderful home baker and she used to bring baked goods and we loved her coffee cakes so much. And she used to like to remind us that baking was her Valium, which I always just thought was such a <laughs> funny line. Um, she was really, really funny. And yeah, I can't not at this point eat coffee cake and not think of her. So that recipe brings up like a lot of memories about her, um, which are just all really fond. That's so lovely. Um, do you personally have a favorite recipe from the book? Um, well, maybe because you brought it up before, Becca, but I really love that white pizza kale. I think it's so oh, good. I'm going to make it. I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I have some kale wilting upstairs. And so. it's perfect for that, um, you know, because you're going to cook it anyway. Like, it's yeah. totally fine. I love it. And I think it's very representative of just the feel I want the whole book to hopefully give, which is like, here's, it's kale, right? <laughs> like, this is like, this super quote unquote healthy thing, this thing that we often align with this word, but it also is covered in melted cheese and it's like covered in all the spices that I would put on a slice of like New York pizza, like garlic powder and dried oregano and stuff. And it just, it hits all these like really familiar comforting flavor notes. Like it tastes like a slice of white pizza, which is just something I love. And it also is this huge skillet of vegetables, which makes my body feel good. Like just personally, um, you know, that is something for all of us to figure out whatever it is for them, but, or, you know, for all of us. But for me, I, I don't know, I really just love vegetables, but I also just, I also really love fun. <laughs> and I think this yeah. recipe is really fun. And I get like excited when I make it. And it's also incredibly simple. Like it's one skillet. It's like ingredients that are very available. So I just think this recipe is a good kind of, um, I don't know, introduction, I would say, to the book. And it's probably like the thing from the book lately I've been making the most often. Okay. I can't wait to make that. It yeah, sounds so good. I have everything for it. Maybe it'll be tonight. Yeah. We'll see. Has the pandemic changed the way you cook at all? Or has it changed your attitude about cooking? I'm asking because it definitely has for me. And but me too. you do this professionally. So I'm yeah. curious how it has impacted you. It's changed your feeling like you're sick of it or you're excited. Both. Both. So I do yeah. feel like I have a greater comfort in the kitchen mm -hmm. that I did not have before, where the idea I, – I actually – get takeout less often mm -hmm. during the pandemic because the idea of like putting together dinner feels less daunting. And partially that's also because I have more time. Sure. I'm not out of my house mm -hmm. commuting and just like, oh, I'm, I've been out of my house for 12 hours. Somebody else cook. <laughs> so in that way, I do feel more comfortable with cooking. On the other hand, I feel like I have driven every one of my favorite recipes into the ground. Um, and I feel sick of a lot of stuff. Yeah. Well, I really resonate with a lot of what you just said. And yeah, for me, I think over the past, you know, 12 months now, I have never been more grateful to be someone who loves to cook at home. Um, and I've also never been more tired of it at times. And, <laughs> you know, I say in the book, like, it felt important to me to put it into writing, like, home cooking is a relentless thing. Like, I feel often like, didn't I just make a meal? <laughs> like what? It's yes. time to eat again? Um, but I think that that is like, I just really believe in, I don't know, the marathon of it all, like not the sprint. And that's why the recipes are as easy as they are in this book. And that's why they're honestly, I think what we were just talking about with the white pizza kale, like that's why I tried to make them fun because mm -hmm. it can get, you know, you can really easily get into a rut. Like I know I have. And I basically 
I feel at a point in my life where I totally accept that and I don't try to fight that. And I just trust that my love of this activity and also the necessity of it, like if I'm feeling in a rut, like that's okay. I will get out of it. Like I've been in ruts about plenty of things, including cooking at home and like it too shall pass. And in the meantime, that's why they invented frozen chicken nuggets. And that's why I'm grateful. I have like a wonderful wife who I can be like, hey, can you just take care of dinner? I don't care what it is. Like, you know, so whatever the equivalent of that is for you. I just think it's worth acknowledging all of this because I think, you know, a lot of cookbooks and food media and stuff make us feel like if we're not doing this impressive thing every night, we're like doing something wrong in some way. And like, I don't know. I just am here to just push against that and say like you are doing nothing wrong like if you're feeding yourself and the people around you I don't care what it is like if it's recipes I wrote great I'm glad you like them but like it doesn't have to be that like whatever like that's a big deal especially during a pandemic so yeah in terms of how my feelings about food have changed I don't I think I feel more just accepting in general I think I feel more grateful than ever. And I have more respect and I value just the people along the way who make the food in my kitchen possible, like the people who grow things and stock grocery shelves and drive delivery vehicles and all that. Like, I mean, obviously they're essential and always have been. Um, So my appreciation for all of them has grown. I mean, the only thing on a logistic level that's changed is how I get ingredients like grocery shopping for me has changed as I think it has for a lot of other people. But yeah, I've been a daily home cook for years now. So that's not so different. Like we've both always worked from home and we're used to being home all day. Like our day-to-day lives aren't that different, which is unusual and very lucky. Yeah. Could we switch gears just a little bit to talk about some of the social justice work that you've done? Yeah. Um, So for anyone who is new to Julia's work, she has founded something called the Equity at the Table database, which she created for LGBT plus um, POC food professionals. And um, there's a motto that you have. We're going to quote you to yourself again, (laughs) which is – which I really love, which is build a longer table and not a higher fence. Can you tell us about a little bit about that organization? Sure. Yeah. Um, it's, I feel like it's, I don't know. I don't know that I usually describe it as an organization. To me, it's, it's a database, um, database and it's a yeah. community. And I mean, I, there's nothing like wrong with what you just said. I just think, yeah. I just, I don't know. I feel like it's important to just be clear about exactly what it is. Cause it's, it's a very simple thing at the end of the day. It's, it's a digital directory. It's a database. And yeah, it started um, almost three years ago, and we have like about a thousand members, maybe a little over that, who are in most states in the country, some are in other countries, um, and just represent like a huge range of, of of people and professions and locations and identifications. And when you go to the site, which is free to use and free to join and always will be, um, you can search any of those things, profession, location, identification, or you can search any combination of those things. So it's a place if you're looking for someone, you can probably find them. Um, Someone who represents, you know, a profession, a location, (laughs) an identification. And it's also a place if you are one of those people, you can find other people. And that has been really powerful. Um, Just the power of sort of connection and community. Needless to say, just the power of representation and visibility. Like, 
something I really, really love about equity at the table is like, if you are, let's say, I don't know, let's say you are a young, um, you know, person who identifies as like both black and queer, um, and you are interested in baking, <laughs> like you want to be a baker, you want to have a bakery one day, like you can go to equity at the table and like find a bunch of people who look like you who do that. <laughs> and you can just know that that exists. And you can also like, you know, find their social media handles and reach out to them and get to know them. Um, so that feels really just valuable to me. And I am just really happy it exists and like continues to be useful. And, you know, again, seek to be useful. Like I just like creating um, helpful tools and giving resources. So yeah, thanks for asking about it. I have a little bit of an uneducated uh, follow-up question. Mm -hmm. I, I haven't actually looked this up. Is this like a members only thing or can I go there and find restaurants that are from these people? Or if I'm, I mean, obviously not in a pandemic, I'm not hosting an event, but I want to have an event catered by somebody from one of these communities or do I have to be, a, is it only for members of the community? No, it is open to anyone to use. And my encouragement always is like, don't just visit equity at the table, like please bookmark it and come back to it. Um, oh, that's awesome. And yeah, totally free to use and very simple to use. I think the reason it has continued for as long as it has, the reason people continue to join it and people continue to use it is it's like an incredibly simple thing. <laughs> like, um, it's pretty like obvious when you go to it, just like exactly what it is and what its purpose is. So yes, please, like any and everyone, you're welcome to, you know, come meet us and just keep scrolling. And, you know, there's some little details about the site that might not be obvious at first, but that I think are really just fun to know, which are like the um, homepage, like when you go to it, I can't remember how we programmed this because I worked with a web developer who is amazing because I don't know how to do any of that. Um, and I also have like an incredible advisory board whose input has been really, really important and valuable. But we set it so that the homepage, when you first come to it, like it, it just continually randomizes. So like you're not seeing oh, the fine. same people over and over. So just trying oh, to cool. build, you know, things like that, thoughts like that, like thoughtfulness mm -hmm. like that into everything about it has I don't know. It's just taught me a lot. And it's, um, you know, I try to extend that kind of stuff to everything I do, however much I can. That's great. We'll, we'll link it in the show notes awesome. so that yeah, people can find do. it if they're interested. Yeah, that would be great. Um, Julia, you have been such a thoughtful and wonderful <laughs> guest. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. This flew me by. Um, I really yeah. enjoyed it. I mean, you two are I'm so kind. And I really like talking to people who are friends. I don't know. It just feels nice. So thanks for welcoming me into this. Well, you're our new friend. I would if it wasn't <laughs> whether you want to be or not. Yeah. If if this wasn't a pandemic, we would have made you come over to record in person. Well, and then we could have all made the white pizza kale with Becca's wilting greens. Oh, yes. <laughs> But in the tradition of our podcast, you've earned your very own desperation minute to tell mm -hmm. us where people can find you on the internet, where they can get your amazing new cookbook, and anything they can do for you or that you want to support. Sure. I love that you do this, and I appreciate it. So in terms of me and my work, yeah, I have a book out. It's called Simply Julia. I'd love for you to get it because I think it'll be really useful, and I think you'll really like it. And um, you can find out about that book and everything about me and my work at juliatertian.com. That's my website, just my name. Um, 
You can also, I don't know, if you enjoyed this conversation, you might enjoy conversations I've had on my podcast, and you can find all that information at the same place. Uh, my Instagram handle is at Tertian. I talk to people in my DMs all the time about what they're making for dinner or things about body image. So feel free to reach out to me there. I'm always around. I'm probably around like a little too much. I should probably be doing some other <laughs> things. And then in terms of what people could do to support, I would say what I would love is if you're buying my book or any book for that matter, like please buy it from your local independent bookstore. Um, and if you're not buying it, but you want to check it out, please go to your local library and ask for it. And if they don't have it, please ask them to get it. And also other books you might be interested in. I just feel like independent bookstores and local libraries are like the anchors of our cities and towns and communities and are so important. And um, that would mean a lot to me if you did that. And yes, please check out Equity at the Table and support people you find there. That would That would be great. Go do those things. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, too, so much. This was really fun and just really nice, and I feel very supported, and I really appreciate it. Oh, we can't wait to cook more from this cookbook. Yes. Awesome. And read all the essays and the lists. Yes. Thank you. All right. Let's get into the little end matter. Yes, please. Um, what? Do you have an Instagram session this week? I do. Oh, I don't. So tell me. So um, mine is a woman whose name is Opal, O-P-A-L, Vadhan, V-A-D-H-A-N. And I'm not positive I am pronouncing her last name correctly. Uh, a few weeks ago when I saw that Hillary Clinton is writing a book, I was talking with Hithapalapu about it. And she suggested, she was like, do you follow Hillary's personal assistant? You should reach out to her when the book comes out and see if you can get Hillary on the podcast, which I would die. I would die. Um, and so this woman, Opal, was her assistant. However, Opal just got a new job and is now Kamala Harris's body woman. So a body oh woman gosh. is like, you know, the uh, – I don't know how to describe this. It's the Charlie on West Wing to Jed Bartlett, if you've seen the West Wing. Um, but, yeah, it's like the person who – it's not an assistant, but um, is is helping the vice president. So anyway, I've just um, – I don't know. That's such a cool job, and I'm very excited to, like, see what that looks like. And what she shares about it. Oh, I can't wait to follow along. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't have an Instagram obsession. I don't have a regular obsession. So what's yours? Mine is a brand that, and I'm partnered with them um, some, on some Instagram stories this month. It's called Abby Alley. And they are um, a really cool design brand. They have beautiful jewelry and also leather goods, like little crossbody bags. And then I got this oh. really amazing brass ring from them and this this necklace. Like there's so much great stuff. And um they, ha I just really like what they're doing, but everything that they make is sustainably and ethically made. And um, they partner with artisans in, I think it's West Africa to design all of their, all of their products, which I love. Cool. Yeah. I love like, that was one thing. Like usually I partner with brands that I know and like shop at regularly and they reached out and I was like, holy shit, I love this site. Like everything they make is really, really pretty and cool. Like it's kind of minimalist, but um, like good, like chunky gold jewelry. Oh, I'm excited to look at that. Yeah. So that's what I got. I also don't – I haven't really read much this week. Um, well, you're reading something that I'm very excited about. Oh, my gosh. So I'm reading – I'm only reading one book right now. I'm reading um, A Special Place for Woman by Laura Hankin, which you've talked about this. Um, I don't know where it's How going. How far – oh, you haven't gotten to the twist. Okay. I'm around 100 pages or so in. Okay. Um, and it, it – at first I thought this was going to be about the wing or like similar to the wing. Is it? Does it – because I feel like the wing is less secretive. 
I don't know. It's right now. Oh this, yeah, this, like it's a it's like a secret woman's club that like has all this influence. And this woman is a um, a journalist who's lost her job, and she decides to go in and try and write an expose about the women's club. And right now, she's like getting inducted. I, she's like trying to infiltrate. So I'm not very far in, but I can't put it down. But I've just had so many different like work and emotional things come up that I haven't been reading very much this week. I am so excited to talk to you about this. I'm off the podcast because it doesn't come out until May when you finish. I can't wait. So I'm reading The Other Black Girl by Zakia Delilah Harris. And that comes out on June 1st. And it is a psychological thriller about a girl who is an assistant at a publishing house. And she is the only black assistant. And they hire another black assistant. And then some shady shit starts happening. So I'm only about halfway through. So I don't really know where it's going yet. But um, I'll keep you updated. Um, And if you need a book to read, I highly recommend our March book club pick, which is The Midnight Library by Matthew Haig. And um, I will say there is a trigger warning with this book with suicide. It um, happens at the beginning of the book where the main character is considering ending her life. Our conversation really isn't going to be talking about that. The book, the concept of the book is really around the idea of regret and um, like all of the different turns your life could take if you made a different decision. And I think we're going to have a really good, thoughtful conversation there just around our own lives and regrets and thinking about the way things could end up differently if you made one small choice a little bit more differently. Yeah, I thought this book was so thought-provoking, and I'm really excited to talk about it. We'll be discussing it next week, mm-hmm. so join us for that. And in the meantime, you can uh, come join our Facebook group. You can just search Bad on Paper on Facebook. Uh, find us on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman, and my other podcast is called Romcom Pods. It's a scripted fiction podcast. And I'm on Instagram at Grace Atwood, and my blog is thestripe.com. I post there every day. Six days a week. Six days a week, not seven. <laughs> I Becca don't know why I'm Christy. such a stickler for that. I, I don't know. You're, you're a weirdo. <laughs> I Whatever. I am a weirdo. It's my Virgo tendencies. Yeah. I just mean a lot of blogs have gone down to like a three-day-a-week model. Yeah. I'm there. I'm there Friday, Monday through Friday and Saturday. I get it. <laughs> oh, well, my gosh. All right. See you next week. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>